this show is to get to the heart of well-being through inspirational stories of everyday people, expert insights from a number of health and lifestyle related disciplines, and exploration of topics that underpin well-being. If you want to take control of your well-being and put yourself front and center in your life, then this is the podcast for you. I want you to feel calm, nurtured and inspired so you can enjoy your life and your success. If you have not yet done so, please subscribe, rate and review on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you know someone else that would get value from the show as well, please share it with them. Join me on this journey and let's live the fab life together. Today, I'm so thrilled to introduce my guest, Brian Folchuk, who says people don't change, but lives do. Welcome, Brian. Thank you, Bab. Thanks for having me. It's great that you're here with me today. So I'd love you to tell me about yourself and what it is that you do. Yeah, so I have many aspects to myself, but I think the one that's most relevant here is around the work that I do to try to help people, as you say, not change themselves, but change their lives. Um, I know I think very surely that we are who we are, and that's not such a bad thing. And we create the lives that we choose to create, whether we realize we're choosing that or not. And that choice means we can craft a path that actually fits with our desires and our values and our goals. We just may need help in doing that. Yeah, that's brilliant. And so how would you describe your own journey, Brian? So I've had a number of different paths that I've gone through and I pulled a theme out that's been really consistent. But I would start with my childhood where I was an obese kid, like many people are. And not just that, I was an obese kid in a family that was coming apart as my parents got divorced again, as many kids are. And the two really went hand in hand. So my early years were filled with, um, you know, what, what are really emotional issues and emotional distress that I didn't understand. I was only five or six years old at the time. And, you know, kids just can't really understand what they're feeling. So I turned to food as my comfort, my solace. You know, it didn't turn me away. It didn't judge me. It wasn't leaving or, or anything. It was always there and it felt good. And slowly but surely, maybe not so slowly, actually, I put on a significant amount of weight and I got to a point where I was about 100 pounds overweight and really headed just consistently in the wrong direction, not getting any lighter, not doing any of the right things for it until I found someone who was willing to help me understand myself a bit better and help me find the tools for myself to start to change that. And that sparked the second chapter of my life that I've been on. And so you talk about that stress as a child. Did you realize it was stress and did that carry up into your adult years? I certainly didn't realize it at the time. I definitely realize it now. You know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. I think in all fairness, you know, I was a pretty little kid we just don't understand what we're feeling. We know we're upset and we know that we're scared. Um, maybe we feel alone. I think one of the core things, you know, as a parent, I certainly have seen this in my own son's development, but something that's really core for all kids that, that they need and they seek out is the feeling that everything's going to be okay. And that feeling of safety and stability. And, and I don't just mean safety from, you know, you know a criminal or, or some danger, but just in general that their life is safe. And they're in a safe place and they're cared for. And certainly with, you know, what I experienced as a little kid, that wasn't a given. I had different reasons to feel unsafe in the broadest sense of the word. And it's not all bad. I certainly gained a number of points of independence through that stress. You know, I, I grew, I 
rely on myself really well. I've always been able to count on myself to take care of myself. But as a little kid, you know, I think that primary need of feeling safe not being met really does generate an underlying sort of tone of stress that is very framing in who we are. So I see my own insecurities as an adult that I've faced. I really think they come hand in hand with that foundational stress. And so what do you believe are some of the early indicators of the impact that stress is having in one's life? Yeah, so I think we can look to some physical manifestations. You know, when I was a kid, it was obesity. Um, as an adult, I, I could blame gray hair and what I call the beijing of my hair, which is sort of the falling out, but can name it another way other than balding. You know, hair is, is actually often a common thing that will tell us if we're overstressed. Um, you look at the face, you know, does it look, do we look tired? Can you see it in our eyes? I mean, I, I think we all have learned to hide things through makeup, through attitude, through putting on a happy face or whatever you want to call it. But I do feel like if you really look at someone, you can see that there's hurt there and you can see that there's stress. And actually, it's okay to open up about that and, and be vulnerable because you're not, you're not going to get past it if you just mask it and try to hide it from people. Let's talk about how we can change how we view stress and therefore its impact on our lives. Yeah, I think that's really, really crucial. There's a, a strong school of thought, actually, in a number of different places, Western medicine, Western religion, Eastern as well. Buddhism teaches this straight on is ultimately the way that we feel about things is our own choice. No matter how bad those situations are, we can choose to feel different about them. And stress is no different. So there's there's the first choice is the stress response. And sometimes it may feel out of our control and maybe it really is. But then the second choice is whether the stress response has to be viewed as a bad thing. So do we feel worse because now we're stressed out or do we take the stress as a signal to us that, hang on, maybe something's not right. Maybe I don't feel good about what's going on here. Maybe I need to engage differently. Or maybe that stress allows us to do things we wouldn't be able to do if we were in a more relaxed state. You know, there's that, whether it's true or not, that maybe it's an urban legend, but a, the story of the mother who lifts the car up to save her trapped child is trapped under the car. That's a, a stress response right there. You know, the body is able to go into action in a way that it would not be able to do had it been in a relaxed state. You know, there's a first choice we make, and maybe in some situations we're overstressing relative to what's going on. But... There's also this very negative connotation to stress. I'm sure when you said the word stress for the first time in this episode, listeners are thinking, oh, that's a bad thing we're going to talk about. Maybe it's not always bad, and maybe there's a different way we can look at it and use it to our advantage. Yeah, that's a good thing. So it's what we would call reframing, isn't it? Absolutely. We often label it bad. I'm, I'm not sure where that comes from, but because you have positive and negative stress, if you didn't have positive stress, your body couldn't get out of bed of a day because yeah. it's what actually gets your muscles going. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, exercise is a positive stress on your body. You grow from stressing your muscles. Gravity is a stress on our body. Obviously, that's not all bad. So, yeah, there's it, it doesn't have to be bad, but you're right. We've sort of framed it as a society in this negative light, and we do have a choice of doing that differently. And what do you believe are the major obstacles to changing our lives for the better? I think there's one obstacle, and this is awfully broad, so to be fair, I'm, I'm simplifying it, but it, it's our minds. It's, it's the choices that we make within ourselves. And a lot of that, I think, stems from the fact that 
most people don't take the time to get really introspective and learn about themselves in a challenging way. So we, you know, we're always on the go. Work does not stop nine to five, you know, with smartphones, everything, everyone's accessible 24 seven. And that means jobs continue on into the night and on the weekend, even if you've left the office and gone out for dinner or something, you know, that device is still going off. And, you know, for us, I think that that's, that's really just a starting point for the wrong sort of behavior in terms of uh, self-awareness, self-introspection, because we're, we're always just sort of reacting. We never take that pause and say, hang on, let me understand what's going on in my mind. Let me understand my values and my choices right now, because you're just being bombarded all the time to move on to the next thing. We've spoken about being intelligent, rational beings. So talk me through that. It's a choice to realize it, but I think it's something that we all have. So we're all intelligent. We're all rational. The question is what we do with that. So do we allow ourselves to be reactionary and just respond to the choices others are making? Or are we taking a moment to pause, breathe, and look at a situation and decide what's the wisest thing we can do? What's the thing that will have the least negative outcome and the most positive benefit? And that's that really is a choice. And I think it's important to recognize that everyone around you is also making choices. And they are also rational, intelligent beings. And whether they're exercising that fully or not can always be debated. But even if you're arguing with someone and you just can't see their point of view, typically they see their point of view and they think it's rational. So it's worth keeping that in mind to bring you back down and say, hang on, I may not agree, but they clearly believe in their viewpoint and think it's rational. Maybe there's something more for me to understand here. And so I specialize in supporting people to get better quality sleep. Because I believe that the quality of your sleep actually does affect your waking life incredibly. And I know that a lot of people talk about what happens at night for them is they start ruminating, they catastrophize, beating themselves up about how they could have done something differently. So what would you say, you know, how could we work with that? Yeah, well, I, first of all, I agree completely with you about sleep and it's uh, it's really upsetting in society. We're almost proud of how little sleep we get. People get in these competitions. We, oh, you know, I only slept this long last night. You slept six hours. I only got five. It's like we're proud of something that's actually we should be working to remedy that, not be proud and wear it as a badge of honor. But putting that aside, the rumination is absolutely at the heart of of this issue is, you know, instead of taking a tough situation and reframing it, we stew on it. And we let it, we let the negativity of it expand through rumination. So one of the things that we can do is try to break it down using the fact that we're rational, intelligent beings and look at, you know, if, if you got in an argument with someone, as an example, trying to understand why they took the view that they had. And you may not actually be able to agree with it, but perhaps you can at least understand why they agree with it. That's a good starting place right there to just begin to to try to see where they're coming from. And I think that crack will open the door enough for you to start to think, okay, if that's where they're coming from, I've been yelling because they've been yelling without real purpose. What might a reasonable response be? And so you can start to bring yourself away from rumination into a solution and set it aside. And one of the things that I teach really heavily, and, and this is what I've used so actively in my own pursuits of of anything I've tried to achieve, and, and I teach it in my book as well, is this notion of do a day is precisely the opposite of rumination. 
So instead of beating yourself up over what's already happened and living in fear of what's yet to come, we focus on just the right now. Because actually in this moment, you're not still doing the thing you wish you hadn't done or experiencing the thing that you wish you hadn't had to experience. And by the same token, you don't have to deal with all of the stresses and activities and deliverables and whatever else that you're afraid of tomorrow. So if you have 100 pounds to lose, you don't have to lose it all right now. Right now, you just make better choices for what you're doing right now. You know, the, the rest of those activities will come later. And it also doesn't matter if you've you know, gone out with your friends and eaten something that you wish you didn't eat that's working against your weight loss. Right now, you can still make better choices for right now, but probably not if your mind is stuck in punishment mode from the past, rumination, or fear and anticipation of what's yet to come. Yeah, that's so true, isn't it? Yeah. If we just take it moment by moment, each little choice is going to add up to making a great day. Bev, you know, there's, there's something on the rumination point that I think we can all learn from babies who are learning to walk. So every, every human being who walks could not at some point. And when they're learning to walk, they stumble a lot and they fall down a lot and they struggle. And, you know, they may have to hold on until they can do it independently. But either way, there is a path that has a lot of ups and downs. Literally, they fall down on their bums quite a bit. And you don't see kids giving up on walking forever because they've had some stumbles. They don't sit there and ruminate on the fact that the last time I tried this, I fell. They're determined to get up and keep going. There's something that happens as we get older whether it's about responsibility or something else, that we lose that ability to free ourselves without having to try to do so. So what I say as an adult, let's try to free ourselves. Let's make that choice not to be stuck on the stumbles and focus on the fact that if we keep at this, we will add up to the ability to walk or whatever else it is that you're trying to achieve. Yeah, that's fantastic, Garden. So could you recommend an action that listeners could take that would support them? Yeah, so I, I do a few things that I've found to be very helpful. One is meditation, and some people don't get into that, some do. Um, that can be a very big and, and conscious step that maybe not everyone's ready for just yet. So what I would say is just try taking deep breaths right now. So if you find yourself really caught in that anger, I actually just did this the other night. I was getting worked up over something that really I shouldn't have had any issues with. And I sort of knew I was very conscious in the moment. I'm like, I'm getting angry about this. And it's such a silly thing. It was uh, a restaurant got my order wrong. And I kind of knew they would because they always do. And I think that was the problem as I started to get in that negative mindset right from the start. So I kept myself very conscious of what was going on. And I just took deep, deep breaths. And I, I stepped out from the place and did this outside. And as silly as it may sound to people, as simple as it may sound, it actually did work. After about 10 very deep breaths, I had let go of it. And I think that that's a simple thing that we all know how to breathe. We can do that. You can also sort of narrate your way through an activity to keep you focused on what's going on right now. And again, that may sound silly to some people. You can do it in your head if you're embarrassed about saying it out loud. But you know, if something's bothering you and you have a task you're trying to complete, Talk your way through the steps of that task. It's a forcing mechanism that gets you back on path for what's right in front of you rather than allowing your mind to draw out into what's already happened or what lays ahead. That's a brilliant idea, narrating your tasks. I wouldn't bother whether other people think I'm mad because I probably talk to myself anyway. <laughs> it's the best audience. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us about your latest book, Do A Day. 
Yeah, so I put out the book at the end of March, and the reason is is quite simple. So I have, you know, I've, I've given you some snippets of some of the things that I've done or I've dealt with. The book is about how I've developed this philosophy, or the philosophy I've developed, I should say, and how I've applied it to my life, and then I teach you how to apply it to your own. And I've used it for myself. As I said, I've used it with people that I've been coaching or mentoring. I'm, by day, um, I'm an executive at an insurance company, and I have staff that I manage, and I've managed people for about a decade now. So I've used it with people that, you know, that I've directly been responsible for as well. And the, the book's broken into three parts. The first is sort of a case study with different scenarios from my life where I've used this philosophy. And I do that for two reasons. One is to teach the philosophy. And I, I use different scenarios, hoping that one or two of them may resonate with the readers. So maybe they've gone through something similar or they're going through something similar or through the breadth of it, they can start to see how it applies more broadly. The other is just for a bit of vulnerability, which I think is really important. You know, going back to that point about putting the makeup on, sometimes when we expose who we are, it allows people to have a more human connection with us. And I think that's really important for something like this. So in, in those stories, I talk about my weight loss journey. I talk about um, I'm a vegan and how did that come to be? That's actually the story in which I actually came up with the name for the philosophy do a day because I just said, you know what? I can just do a day. Anyone can do anything for a day. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll just go do a day. And I did. And that was almost three years ago and I've continued to do it because I stopped questioning, you know, all the situations where, what about this? What about that? What about my son's birthday party? And I can't have cake because that's not vegan. And so I'm not going to be celebrating with him. And about a business trip, it's like, you know what? None of those things is happening tomorrow. I can just do a day. So I named the philosophy in that. I've run a marathon and I talk through the training. And that's a really good example of do a day because it literally is a day by day training plan. Um, I talk about troubles at work the trials and tribulations of being a parent, a number of different scenarios. And it's not an autobiography. You know, people who know me are like, well, why didn't you talk about this or that? Because that's not the point of the book. It's to teach the philosophy. But then I move on to the, there's two foundational building blocks. And the first one is really crucial. And it ties to a really deeply personal story that I share in the book. And that's how you find your true motivation. And some people have really, um, serious consequence or serious situations that they go through. I was on a podcast by a Navy SEAL who was blown out of a vehicle by a rocket and lay for dead on the side of the road in, in the desert. Obviously a very severe and extreme situation that you know your eye your life flashes before your eyes kind of moment. You don't have to have that, but I share mine. And that's this day in 2011. My wife has a chronic illness and she was in the throes of it in the the end of the spring and into the summer. June 30th 2011, our son was about two. He was standing in front of me and she was in bed because at this point she couldn't get out of bed. The doctors had written her off and just said, you know, she's probably not going to make it. Actually, her doctor said, I'm going on vacation. Let's talk in six weeks. And I'm saying, you know, do the math. She's wasting away two pounds a day. She's not going to be alive that long. And he was just sort of like, oh, well, take her to the emergency room if you need to, which is fantastic medical care, I should say. But I'm, I'm sitting there or I'm standing there looking at my wife and looking at our two year old son who's watching his mother die. And I had put on a bunch of weight again and I was depressed. And so he was also watching his father die just at a slower rate. And it hit me, you know, as if someone had turned on the light. This is completely unacceptable. This little boy is about to lose his mother and his father is just such a sorry excuse for a role model, for support, for a guide, for a father. And that's not okay. And that moment of clarity, that 
the pain I felt and the love I felt for him really did change me. And that's why I'll never forget the date. I know exactly what the room looked like. I knew what we were wearing, where we were standing. It's, it's forever burned in my memory. So I woke up the next morning, July 1st, 2011, and everything was different because I had my real reason for doing everything that I sought to do. That's what changes things. So I help people find their motivation. I can never tell you what it is. There's no equation. There's no workbook in there that you fill out these 10 questions and you get your answer. But I pose a number of questions for people to take back and really get introspective. And hopefully they can find their motivation. That's what I do through my coaching work really more than anything is to help people understand what's actually driving them and what their values are. You can build anything if you understand why you're doing it. Yeah, that's really profound. Thank you, Brian. So what are your tips for living fabulously? So I, I just gave away the first one. As deep and big as it sounds, a tip sounds like too little of a word, but I think that's the first starting point is you must know why you do things. So if you have your why, if you have that deep inner motivation, I think that's the first and, and most important step. The next is something else I talk about in the book is goal setting. So it, it's great to have a purpose. Now let's point that purpose in a direction. So what's something that you want to achieve and how can you craft goals in a meaningful way to achieve that? So it can't be something really amorphous or excessively big so you never get there, but you craft a specific achievable action-oriented goal and you break it down into these do-a-day moments where you make a choice today to achieve it. And the last is you, you pull it all together and you do a day. So each day when you wake up, think about what it is you're trying to achieve and why you're trying to achieve it and make your choices in that day free of any other choice you've made before and any choice you may have yet to make. And with that, I truly believe you will live a fabulous life. Oh, beautiful. Thank you so much, Brian. You can find Brian Falchuk at his website, www.doadaybook.com and also on Facebook under Do A Day Book. So Brian, I'm really glad to have had you on the show today and appreciate you really sharing vulnerably your own journey and inspiring us through practical outcomes. So I really love your analogy of the baby walking because it just gives us the possibility that we don't need to be stuck in rumination. And the reality is that if we were to break down and understand uh, alternative points of view, if we were ruminating about things, we could make that choice of focusing on right now and letting go of that beating ourselves up or putting blame on somebody else, you know, instead of being responsible for something. And you talked about narrating your actions. And I love that idea because then it brings you into that present moment. Then you focused on task. I think your summation of your top tips is amazing, you know, that you must know why you do things and point your purpose in a specific direction so that each day, pull it together and make the best choices for yourself to do your best day. So thank you so much for being with me on the show today, Brian. Thanks for having me, Bev. This is great. Thank you so much for listening. And I would love to know what you enjoyed most about this episode. You can connect with me on Facebook by searching for Living Fabulously with Bev or feel welcome to leave a message or comment on my website. You can get the links and any references from this episode in the show notes at my website www.livingfabulously.com forward slash podcasts. Do you have a friend who you think deserves to live fabulously? 
Spread the love around by sharing the podcast with them right now. Until next time, be sure to live the fab life. The information shared here and in our programs and webinars should not be seen as medical advice and is not meant to take the place of seeing licensed health professionals.